We will be continuing our study this morning in the book of Hebrews, focused on this topic of living by faith, what it means to cultivate a deeper dependency upon God. In this series, we spent three weeks walking through the the last portion of Hebrews chapter 10, which prepared us for this study all about faith. And when it comes to faith, we need to remember this one very, very important thing. And that is, it's not the amount of faith that you have that matters. What matters is in whom you place your faith. If you learn nothing else in these 10 or 11 weeks that we're studying through these passages in Hebrews, learn this point. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about in whom you place your faith. Jesus said it this way, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. Matthew 17, verse 20. How is that possible that we could say to a mountain that it be moved? Well, it's not possible if my faith is focused inwardly. But with God, all things are possible. Are they not? All things are possible. That's what he tells us in Matthew 19, verse 26. When he's talking about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Why? Why is it hard for a rich man to enter heaven? Because he's trusting in himself and in his riches. And Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Well, that's impossible, you might say. But then Jesus said... With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's not about the the amount of faith we have. It's about who our faith is in. Faith that is focused on anything other than God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Any faith that is focused on anything other than God is faith that is misplaced. Again, it's not the amount of faith that you have that matters. It's who your faith is in. So for the past four weeks, we've been walking through what is commonly known as the faith chapter or Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to finish uh, our study in this chapter today. And then next week we will shift our focus to chapter 12. And we'll spend three weeks considering the what next of living by faith. In light of all of this that we've learned about trusting in Christ, now how do we actually live by faith? And these studies that we'll be looking at from Hebrews chapter 12 will help us to see what faith looks like on a day-to-day basis. We're going to learn why it's important to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're going to learn why God allows us to experience some difficult circumstances in our lives. And we're going to learn some practical tips for what it looks like to live 
a victorious Christian life. Now, before we get to today's passage, I want to take just a few minutes to think back over these last three weeks of study from Hebrews chapter 11. The chapter begins by defining what faith is. The author said that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then he goes on to explain, for by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. So when it comes to faith, we cannot see it, we cannot hear it, we cannot taste it, we cannot touch it, but we are certain that we have it. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Well, in my message on Hebrews 11, verse 1, I shared that faith is a dynamic certainty about what God has promised. It is not a feeling. It is not optimism. It is not a hunch. It is not sentimentality. And it is not brainless. It is a solid conviction resting on God's words that make the future present and the invisible seen. Notice that last statement there. It is a solid conviction. I believe with all my heart that what God is promising in the future, I believe it so much that it is as if it were present today. And those things that I cannot see, those invisible things, those things in the future, it's as if I see them. That's what faith is. Well, in the weeks that followed, uh, the, the first three weeks of this month of February, uh, we examined the lives of those that are listed as examples of people living by faith. We find these in Hebrews chapter 11. I invite you to look there. We're going to read a passage from it in just a moment. But before we get to today's text, I want us to look at these previously mentioned heroes of faith. We first looked at those heroes of faith that were what we referred to as the pre-flood heroes. Uh, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. You see, Abel made a pleasing offering to the Lord from a heart of faith. He gave the Lord the firstborn of his flocks, and God accepted that offering. Enoch was a man who walked with God, and the scripture says he walked with God and he was not. In other words, Enoch was taken up to heaven to be with God because in his walk with the Lord, he was traveling the same traveling to the same place on the same path at the same pace as God and that's what we learn it means to walk with the Lord and live by faith be on the way to the same place on the same path and at the same pace then we learn Noah obeyed God in faith trusting that God was going to send rain, something he had never seen before. And Noah was told to build a boat 
large enough to house every animal, two of every animal in the world, that would save both he and his family and all the animals. It took him a hundred years to build that boat. And all along the way, he endured ridicule. Can you imagine being ridiculed for a century? <laughs> Next, the following week, Pastor David looked at the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We saw that Abraham lived his life according to the promises of God. The decisions he made were in accordance with the things that God had promised him. Isaac trusted his father and he trusted his heavenly father and he willingly laid himself down upon the altar of sacrifice. Jacob received the blessing from his father and he passed it on to his son Joseph who trusted God would one day return the Israelites from the land of Egypt to the land of promise. And so he left instructions for them to take his bones back to be buried with his ancestors. All of these lived by faith. The next week we looked at the Exodus. Starting with Amram and Jochebed, even though they're not listed here in our text. It talks about by faith Moses was hidden as a baby. Well, who did that? His parents, Amram and Jochebed. Defying the edict of Pharaoh, they saved their child from certain death. Moses then being brought up in Pharaoh's household as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He denied the wealth and prestige of Pharaoh's palace and he identified with his people. Eventually resulting in the exodus. And then we also looked at Rahab. A prostitute, a foreigner, a Gentile, but she feared the Lord and she assisted the Hebrew spies and God blessed her because of her obedience and her desire to live by faith. Every single one of these individuals lived their lives by faith, but folks, listen closely. We must not venerate these people. Do you know that word? It's a great word. It means to worship or adore or revere. And a lot of times we try to lift people up to a place where they don't need to be. We, we try to uh, revere them because of something special. But folks, all of these people that we've mentioned are merely human. They are flawed, sinful people who by faith in God were commended as righteous, or they were declared righteous. That is God's divine covenant for those who live by faith. They're just people. So we don't need to focus on them. We need to focus on the God who saves them. Romans chapter 4 makes this so clear, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses here before we get to our text in Hebrews 11. Paul said in Romans 4.1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see, folks, it's not about what these people did that earned their salvation in any way. But it was about the faith that they had in God. And the result was living a life that pleased him. Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. We've walked through uh, verses 1 through 31. And so now I'd like for us to read beginning in verse 32. Hebrews 11 verse 32. The Bible says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, if you would, back up to verse 13. We're going to focus on verses 13 through 16 this morning as well. It just told us that all of these did not receive the promise. Look at what verse 13 says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Well, this morning as we walk through these last sections of the, the heroes of faith, I, I want to divide them up by different categories and touch on all of these. And, and if you're overwhelmed with the amount of information I'm giving you, I promise I could give you more. There's so much we could talk about with these, but I just want to give you a snippet of these individuals that are mentioned here in the hall of faith. 
And so we start in verses 32 and 33 and look at these that are, are briefly mentioned by name. Briefly mentioned heroes of the faith. You see the individuals listed here were men of faith. But sometimes we might struggle to see their faith as we look at all the aspects of their life. You see, for example, Gideon. Gideon obediently reduced his troops. He was leading the army. And he reduced his troops first from 32,000 down to 10,000. And then eventually down to 300 men. And those 300 men, armed with trumpets, pitchers, and concealed torches, how's that for, for um, an armory? They routed the Midianites. God used those 300 to, to uh, annihilate the Midianite army. What an act of faith it must have taken for Gideon to do that. But if we examine this story more closely, which the story is in Judges chapter 7, you'll see that when God called Gideon to this work, he was not only reluctant to obey, but Gideon was... The actions that we see Gideon doing at the time of his call show that he was quite cowardly. He was threshing out wheat in a wine press. He was hiding from the Midianite armies. We look at Barak, the next one in our list. We learn that with only 10,000 troops, Barak defeated the Canaanite army with their 900 chariots and their innumerable soldiers. But once again, we find that Barak was reluctant to answer God's call to lead the Israelite army. And if we look at, at Judges chapter 4, we see what he says here. You see, God had used a prophetess named Deborah to communicate to Barak that you need to go and you need to do this. And Barak said to her in Judges 4 verse 8, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He was depending more on the support of God's messenger than he was on God. Samson is the next one on our list. And honestly, when we consider the, the life of Samson, there, it's hard to find acts of faith when you look at, at the life of Samson. Uh, you know, when considering his life, we have to start with all the bad, the sensuous and the arrogant aspects of his life because it's difficult to see a life that's devoted to the Lord and faith in God. But Samson knew that God had given him power to deliver his people from the Philistines. And even though he had frittered it away, at the end of his life, blinded and in chains, he regained a spiritual perspective and in a great act of faith, he prayed and received strength to avenge himself and to kill all the Philistines, thus delivering the Israelites from their bondage. Jephthah is the next one we see here. 
And you know, we also struggle to see Jephthah as a man of faith because of the foolish vow that he made um, that ended up sacrificing his own daughter as a result. Nevertheless, by faith, God used Jephthah to deliver his people from the hands of the Ammonites. Are you seeing a pattern here? These people of faith were flawed human beings. David is the next one in our list. And the exploits and character of King David are well known. Starting with his defeat of the giant Goliath and going on from there. In fact, the New Testament in Acts chapter 13 describes David as a man after God's own heart. But this man of faith, this man after God's own heart, fell into sexual sin with a married woman. And then after, after the mistake was made and the circumstances necessitated that he cover it up because of an unwanted pregnancy, David tried to get the, the woman's husband to come and, and so he could say the child was his and the man would not do that. And so what did David do? He had the man killed in battle. He facilitated his death. And this was a man that God said was a man after his own heart. A man of faith here in Hebrews 11. The next person that's listed here is Samuel. Samuel was the prophet that served God in faith from the time that he was a child. And he faithfully served the, as the prophet of the Lord for generations. But even Samuel dealt with issues of unfaithfulness with his leadership in his home as well as his leadership in the nation of Israel. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And then it lists the prophets. Well, the next few verses that we're going to look at, there are events mentioned without names but refer to prophets such as Elijah and Elisha. And Daniel. So here in Hebrews 11, verses 33 through 38, the, the author lists nine empowerments grouped in groups of three. And so we're going to look at these groups of three. In verse 33, we find the first group of three descriptors of these heroes of the faith. And these first three things are basically descriptive of all 16 people that have been mentioned thus far in this chapter. If you wanted to add Amram and Jochebed, that would make 18. But 16 heroes of the faith. And what does it say? Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. You see, the first three uh, empowerments here give this broad idea of authentic faith. They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. Well, as we move forward to the last half of verse 33 and into 34 and 35, we see some more heroes of the faith, but their names are not mentioned here. So look at these unmentioned heroes of the faith. 
we find the second set of three descriptors here in verse starting at the end of verse 33 going into 34 and it says that they stopped the mouths of lions quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword well who is it that stopped the mouths of lion well this was true of several people in scripture actually it's true of samson samson killed a lion with his bare hands it's true of david who also, protecting his sheep, killed a lion. It's also true of one of David's mighty men named Benaiah. Uh, but the most perfect example of the person who stopped the mouths of lion, I believe, was the prophet Daniel. You see, because Daniel did so not by sheer strength, but through prayer. And faith. When he was thrown into the lion's den, he trusted God to close the mouths of the lions. And he came out the next day unscathed. They stopped the mouths of lions. They also quenched the power of fire. Now, who's this referring to? Well, I think it's, it's from the book of Daniel also, but not Daniel himself. Rather, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, these three young exiles defied the decree of the king of Babylon to worship this monstrosity of a golden idol. But God protected them from the king's punishment. If you look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, um, this is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking to the, the three Hebrew children. Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. Nebuchadnezzar's giving them a second chance. They had already said, no, we're not going to do it. And he said, if you're ready, here's another chance. But he says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Notice Nebuchadnezzar's response. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He got mad because they defied him. The men throwing the Hebrew children into the furnace were killed because of the heat of that furnace. But notice in verse 24 of Daniel 3, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. In those moments, God, the son, came and protected these young men of the faith and quenched the power of fire. The last of these three descriptors of the heroes of the faith is that they escaped the edge of the sword. Now there are many heroes of faith that escaped the, the sword in the, in the narratives of the Old Testament. Uh, we, we see specifically that the Bible talks about King David escaped the sword or the spear in 1 Samuel 18 and the sword in Psalm 144. We also see the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19 escaping the edge of the sword and the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. All three of these men escaped the sword. All three of these men were examples of men of faith. So that's the second three descriptors. Notice the third set of descriptors that we see here uh, that describe the outstanding power that came by faith. Notice it says in the middle of 34, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put armies, foreign armies to flight. These two descriptors could be applied to any number of individuals from the Old Testament narratives, whether that be from the judges or from the kings. There are lots of examples of men and women who this is true of. The key here is, and the key throughout this chapter, is that God is at work in and through these individuals because it's in their weakness that he demonstrates his strength. And that's what Paul tells us. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. God's not looking for a great and powerful and confident. and He's looking for someone who's willing to be dependent. If you were in your community group study this past week, we talked very specifically about that, or at least we did in my groups. I hope you did too. I followed the lesson, I promise. <laughs> God wants us in our weakness so that he can demonstrate his strength. What greater strength is there than to bring the dead back to life. But you know that's exactly what happened in two separate instances in the Old Testament, both in the kings. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah brought back to life the son of the widow of Zarephath. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha did the same thing for the Shunammite woman's son. Through faith God brought these back to life. So what's the key? What's the key thing that we need to focus on as we consider all of these exploits of various heroes of the faith? 
Is it their unwavering courage? Is it their their strength in the face of adversity? Is it the abundance of their faith? No, no, and no. It is their God. Though we certainly desire to emulate these commendable examples, they must not take the focus off God. Each of these narratives seek to reveal something about God. The characters are the witnesses that testify to God's work in their lives and circumstances, to his nature as he interacts with them, and to his plan. They point us to him. That is their role. That's the role of these characters. The problem with teaching about the heroes and heroines of the Bible is that the hero of the Bible is God. All people have flaws, even at their best. We must dare not obscure the view of God by elevating human heroes. So as we look at this chapter that's filled with these 16 or 18 names and then descriptions of so many more, it's not about these people, but it's about the one in whom they placed their faith. John and Kim Walton, the, the book that I'm quoting from here, they further explained what they were saying by saying this. The Bible is God's revelation of himself, and its message and teaching are largely based on what it tells us about God. This is particularly true of narratives or stories. While we tend to observe the people in the stories, we cannot forget that the stories are intended to teach us about God more than about the people. So as you're reading your Bible, and you know, I, I'm, I'm about to finish the book of Numbers right now in my, in my Bible reading plan. And, and as I, I, I'm reading all of these, these stories about things that have happened, I don't need to focus so much on on the people in the stories, but how does God interact with the people? What can I learn about God from these stories? So if we keep these, these biblical uh, interpretation principles or hermeneutical principles in mind, think about for a moment Hebrews chapter 11. What are the most important verses in Hebrews chapter 11? If you, if you had to consider that, that we're trying to understand the person of God, if we're trying to understand the character of God in Hebrews 11, what are the most important things that we need to see? Verse 1, we find a, an explanation of what biblical faith is. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In verse 2, we find the result of that faith. The result of biblical faith is being commended to God. In other words, being reconciled with God. We're declared righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross. 
verse 6 tells us the reward, or sorry, the means by which we can please God and draw near to Him. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we please God, we draw near to God by faith. Verse 16, we see our reward. Our reward of faith. What is that? It's our heavenly home that we sang about just a few minutes ago. These teach us significant truths about God. He is the real hero of the Bible. So let's not get caught up too much in all of these others. But let's learn from their stories about the nature and the character of God in the way he dealt with them. Well, as we continue through our, our text, we've come now to the middle of verse 35 where it starts with some were tortured. And here in verses 35b through verse 38, we find the unknown heroes of the faith. We've considered the briefly mentioned, we've considered the unmentioned, but now we don't even know who these heroes of faith are. They are truly unknown. But they are described as enduring tremendous persecution, some of those even leading to death. Folks, we do not know who is being described in these verses, but we do know that the recipients of this letter were dealing with severe persecution. We've talked about this on several occasions, how that this letter was written to Hebrews that had been dispersed and they were dealing with difficulties, uh, most likely in the, in the vicinity of Rome and the persecution under uh, Emperor Nero. And so if these people were experiencing that type of persecution, as I was thinking about this this week, you know, the author of Hebrews could have been describing some of the situations and the experiences that his readers were going through. We don't know that for a fact. But these were things that were happening in that area. By including these circumstances with all the other heroes of faith, the author is giving honor to these who had endured persecution for the sake of Christ. Reading this reminds us of the encouragement that the author gave uh, in the previous chapter. If you look at, at chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 35, the author said, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may, you may receive what is promised. He said, don't throw away your confidence. Where is our confidence? It's not in ourselves. Our confidence 
cannot be in the amount of our faith, but our confidence is in God. Don't throw away our trust and our faith in God. Don't throw away our confidence in God. Well, what is it that God has promised us? It says uh, there in verse 36, so that you will receive what is promised. What is that ultimate promise of faith? Well, before we answer that question, we need to notice that it says that all of these heroes of the faith died not receiving the promise but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. We find that in verse 13. They did not receive the things that were promised. God commended Abel. God commended Enoch. And all those that live by faith, God commended them by their faith. And all of these were hoping for the arrival of Christ in redemptive history. Some of these tasted partial and provisional fulfillments of God's promise. But on the whole, they did not receive that which was promised. They did not receive that something that was better that God promised to provide for us in the new covenant. Well, just as we look back to what Christ did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and, and to reconcile us with God, in the same way, Old Testament saints looked forward in faith to the deliverance that the Christ or the Messiah would bring. You see, folks, there is no dichotomy here as to how people are saved old testament saints were not saved by keeping the law if you think that please spend some time reading um, and i can show you direction where to go to see this old testament saints were saved by faith looking forward to what the christ would do we are saved by faith, looking back at what the Christ did. That's why it tells us that we read earlier in Romans 4 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. They trusted in what God was going to do just as we trust in what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. So, what is it that God has promised to us? Let's look once again, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 14. It says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
What is the promise of God? It is a heavenly home. It's also a heavenly father. Don't overlook this little tidbit here. God is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Wade Allen. And he's your God too, if you've trusted in what Christ did on the cross. He gives us not just a heavenly home, promising us a heavenly home, but he promises us a heavenly heritage. When I read verse 16, and it said, He has prepared for them a city. It reminded me of one of my favorite songs. And I've discovered that it's a, an obscure song. Not many people know, so you may not know this song. But it's, it's simply a song called, I'm Going to a City. I want to sing it for you this morning. I'm going to a city where there'll be no more night. I'm going to a city where Jesus is the light. A trumpet's going to sound and I'll be called away. I'm going to a city someday. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. In the morning, a trumpet's gonna sound, and I'll be called away. I'm going to a city someday. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. A trumpet's going to sound, and I'll be called away. I'm going to a city someday. Folks, that promise is only for those who have placed their faith 
in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Through his death and his resurrection, that is the divine promise, the divine covenant. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you do not have this hope. You cannot count on this promise. All that awaits you in the life that is to come is eternal separation from God and everything that is good in this world because every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And in the life to come, if you're not trusting in Christ as your Savior, you will be separated from Him eternally. And so the question is, is will you simply Trust him. Trust him today. He will save you if you put your faith in him. Father, we thank you for our time together. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of heaven. Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to the opportunity to spend an eternity with you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us your child. Thank you for this promise, this hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. Father, now I pray that if there are any here today that do not know you as their Savior, Father, I pray your Spirit would convict them of their need of salvation. And that they would repent, turn to you in trust, and call you their Savior. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.